John chapter 18. We're glad you're here this morning. We have a lot of folks back that have been gone, and, uh, a lot of folks visiting, and that's great. And uh, we've got um, just a wonderful time together. Thank you for the worship, the prayers, the singing. It's wonderful. Definitely, can I get a copy of that bulletin that you wrote up in the front so I can make notes to myself about those? So, John chapter 18. Jesus is standing before Pilate. <coughs> Pilate says to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered and said, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? It's a big question today. Let's talk about that for a moment. Jesus is on trial before Pilate who asks, what is truth? And there it is for you and me today. I'm glad you're here today because I prayed a lot about this lesson. This is one of those, it's hard for me to wrap my head around because I'm not, I'm a simple person. I really am. I'm just, you know, I try not to, you know, concern myself with things that are too great for me. And yet I live in a world that seems to be complex. And there are people who throw big words around and, and I want to know and understand and be able to live within my faith and also be able to explain to others why I why I feel the way I feel and why that faith is important to me. Jesus is still on trial today for pointing the world to what is called the truth. And the world questions if there's any consistent standard of truth. Now, the $10 fancy word for that is relativism. Okay? So if you want to write that down somewhere, we'll, we'll, we'll look at that. Relativism. That could be philosophical relativism. I, I learned this this week. Philosophical relativism or moral relativism or religious relativism, but it's all relativism. I had to take speech lessons to learn how to say relativism. If I say it slowly, I can get through it. And what I learned this week was, it's a fancy word for, I want my thing to be the right thing. Now, that's what you can write out beside it. That's what relativism is. I want my thing to be the right thing. I don't know what your thing is. And relativism says, basically, your thing is your right thing, and my thing is my right thing, and we'll just all live with our own right thing. Have you heard that kind of thinking? Sure. Yeah, it's out there. Now, if we cut ourselves loose from any objective standard of truth, right or wrong, fair or just, then everybody can just be right in their own attitudes and their beliefs and their opinions. And I'm going to tell you, that just doesn't work. Let me just kind of just put draw the line in the sand, if you will. That just doesn't work. Because what you end up with is a world that lives... For all, not to make it over simple, but for all practical purposes, if everybody is right in their own eyes, basically, then you end up with the daycare survivalist guy. The daycare survivalist guy says it this way. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I, have a, if I had it a little while ago, it's mine. 
If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with it and you put it down, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. I couldn't find a better explanation for relativism than that. When we're talking about truth, it's like children playing with a scalpel. An instrument made to heal and to help that can do irreparable damage if not in the right hands, trained in the right way. In the Old Testament, it's stated this way in Judges 17 and verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now, Judges 17 leads us to the last chapter of Judges where there is no king and everyone was doing right in his own life and eyes and they were ended up in civil war doing atrocious things to each other. And the idea was is that this thing just, you, when you let go of the truth according to an objective standard outside of ourselves, someone just, you know, hit the, hit the lever on the toilet. It just keeps going down and down and down until it flushes. Their standards simply meant conforming to their own subjective preferences. And you hear it today as the language of, well, that's true for you, but not true for me. Everything is relative, and you may do as you please. Allow me to make three observations followed each, each time by a decision that I think we have to make in this world today that are redeeming decisions. Observation number one. The idea of do your own thing, that's what I'm calling it. Because that's what it is. The, the idea of doing your own thing denies the obvious. Some call it tolerance. Others call it relative morality. Just call it what it is. The obvious thing is, I don't want to follow God's. I don't want to follow anybody else's. And I sure don't want to follow your rules. People don't embrace moral relativism because it's philosophically satisfying. They embrace it because it is physically and emotionally gratifying in the immediate and provides the cover that they need to do what they want. Listen to wisdom. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 26 and verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 30 and verse 12, there is a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. My point is this. Just because you don't see a problem with it, doesn't evaporate the problem with it. Whatever the it is that is on the table. I like the way Isaiah 5 verses 23 is given to us in the New Living Translation because it takes the, the, the literal and gives the thought to the passage. It says, What sorrow for those, your text may say, Woe, woe to those. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow, woe for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. What sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold. They take bribes to let the wicked go free and they punish the innocent. I like the New American Standard because it actually translates that sorrow to the word woe, meaning this, woe, stop before it's too late. 
before you embrace that kind of life, before that becomes what shapes who you are, whoa, pull back on the bit. Think about where you're going. Which leads me naturally to decision number one that we have to make. Let's admit the obvious. We need help. If I'm living by anybody's, my own, whatever, standard, we need help. This world's a mess. We don't have something that is genuine and outside of ourselves that is good and right. Listen, when we buy things, buy a new car, you want to walk with it. You want a warranty, right? Because if something goes wrong with that, you want somebody to fix it. You want somebody who's outside of just the guys at the coffee shop or the ladies at the beauty shop who say, well, you know, I have that thing probably with my car. You know, and I just look at it and they just have to change this filter thing. You think you can do it by yourself. You look at it on YouTube. A little more complicated than that nowadays. Okay? More than just you know something you do under a shade. You've got to have somebody who knows what they're doing. Somebody who has got the big picture in mind. When we want something fixed when it goes wrong, living to do your own thing is right. It's like driving that new vehicle with a hole in the radiator. It'll get you just so far before something goes way wrong. And we're not paying attention to the warning light. Not as a society. Psalm 14 says it this way. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do not abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, and even not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? They are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. My point is that things in our world are broken and they need fixing. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. Whether you are someone who is not a relativist or you are a relativist or you're just somebody who doesn't know what that means and just don't know what's going on, it's okay because the bottom line is we understand the world is broken like it is. There are people who don't have homes. There are people who don't have food. There are people who don't have purpose. There are people who are regretting their past. There are people who can't find redemption in their life. There is a lot of problem out there. Amen? Having said that, what's going to fix that? Well, where do you go to fix something? You go to the instruction manual. You go to the person who put it together in the first place. When the, when the radiator has a hole in it and you take it to the dealer, the dealer's going to put it into a computer that tells you what's wrong with it. But that was programmed by somebody who made the car in the first place. So what we're saying here, folks, is let's admit the obvious. This big thing that we call the world is broken and we get it. And there are problems that need to be fixed. But let's go back to the owner's manual. The one who created it. The one who put it together. Let's follow his manual. His Bible. There are holes in our reasoning that are foolish. We need to look up and claim God as our truth and pursue His way as right and true. Observation number two. The idea of do your own thing creates a hypocritical self-righteousness. This do your own thing, you're right in your eyes, I'm right in my eyes. 
creates a hypocritical self-righteousness. All this relativism is laughably selfish. Because at its core, it's the truth you want to believe, the rights you want for yourself, the position that benefits you. And it releases everybody else from accountability. It is collectively inconsistent. Look at it this way. You're sitting in your house one evening. Someone jiggles the lock, takes a crowbar, opens wide the door. Stranger steps in, he's got this mask on. He says, I'm going to take your valuables now. And you go, you can't do that. That's stealing. He said, depends on which relative you're talking to. He said, according to my relatives, you know, but me taking things that aren't mine is not wrong. But it's wrong for me, you say. He says, and the guy says, and that bothers me how? And so you get up and you start to resist this person. And something happens and you take that person's life and now you're on trial. You stand before somebody that says, that was wrong for you to take their life. You say, no, it's not because, because that's self-defense and that's always da-da-da-da. And you go, no, it's wrong. Yes, it's wrong. Right. And everybody yang 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 around. It's inconsistent. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Not with everybody else. That's the inconsistency of relativism. That's the inconsistency of everybody do your own thing. Is that somewhere, somehow how out there, we have to connect with other people and then this, the, the worlds collide. It disconnects people from the truth and authority that God proves is absolute. I need something that is true for all times and all places, for all people in all circumstances. Just happen to have one right here. Tried, tested, proven. All we have to do is read the manual and follow it. In Matthew 23, Jesus confronts the self-righteousness of his day. Listen, if this doesn't sound like something that you see going on all around you today. First of all, he says in 23 verse 13, you're closing the door on God's rule in people's lives. God is a relative thing. Religion is a relative thing. You know, do your own thing kind of thing. So I'm going to close the door. 23 verse 14, you're excusing an annoying injury of the needy with a showy piety. You can call it social reform. You can call it a lot of things. You can call it, you know, you know, political agenda, whatever you want to call it. But the thing is, is that your showy piety isn't really getting the job done, isn't it? Because we still have homeless. We still have hungry. We still have people who are addicted. We still have all of these problems. And we're not meeting the needs. We're just calling ourselves righteous. 23 verse 15, you're making a lot of effort to win converts to a hellish selfishness. Because everybody's redefining the American dream as I want to get as much as I can, as long as I can, from whomever I, whomever I can, and I want to live that way. And I'm going to remind you of something. This is poster that I saw one time. It says, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And then you get your toys. 23 verse 16, you're creating loopholes and promises, accepting inadequate substitutes. Loopholes and promises. 23 verse 23, you're charitable when convenient, but you're ignoring the troubles and the issues of your day. 
23 verse 25, you're creating an illusion of perfection, even as you rot inside with self-indulgence, greed, and living that there were no laws. 23 verse 29, you're celebrating the past while being guilty of its atrocities. Which leads me to decision number two. Admit the obvious. The world's broken and needs fixing by God's standard of truth. Decision number two. Put grace in its proper perspective. For there to be grace, there had to be sin. Wrong must be defined. Addressed. Held accountable. Yet justice must remain free of bias. Where can we go for any such consistency? Is that going to be according to you or you? Is that going to be according to, to, to this group or that group? Is that what's going to happen? Are we as you know the people of this nation the standard for right? And who made us God? Or is there something else? Psalm 98 and verse 9. Before the Lord... For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Such authority may reserve the privilege then to commute punishment. You're wrong, you need to be punished. Amen. But sometimes out there somebody says, you know what, there is a forgiveness, a release from that. Not because the offender is right or in their own opinion they didn't do anything wrong. But because of his authority, so this judge can also determine to release people who are guilty under that law from a higher motivation. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I want to just pick up four verses, verses 23 through 26. And if you haven't highlighted these verses in your Bible, I challenge you, I ask you, for you, put a star by them, put a note in the margin, do something, because this is one of those things that just makes sense when you look at it. Since we have a, a diverse audience, I'm going to, 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 to read from a, from a translation uh, that kind of makes this, you know, kind of the vocabulary is, is a little easier to understand for a group, okay? It's called the easy to read version, but... You're, you stay in your version and your translation and you hear me. All have sinned and are not good enough to share God's divine greatness. Yours may say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are made right with God by His grace. This is a free gift. They are made right with God by being made free from sin through Jesus Christ. God gave Jesus as a way to forgive people's sins through their faith in Him. God can forgive them because the, the blood sacrifice of Jesus pays for their sins. God gave Jesus to show that he always does what is right and fair. He was right in the past when he was patient and did not punish people for their sins. And in our own time, he still does what is right. God worked all this out in a way that allows him to judge people fairly and still make right any person who has faith in Jesus. When I realized that there is a law that does not change, that I that I transgressed or went against or committed wrong in that law, the judge says there is a way that I can be forgiven, and that's called grace, because I couldn't do it on my own. And so through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I now can know the grace of God. Listen carefully. You are a part of a stubborn, st 
stiff-necked, rebellious, whining society. Own it. Because it describes you. But don't miss this next three words. You are a part of a stubborn, stiff-necked, rebellious, whining society that God loves. For when we bow before His authority as penitent believers in faith, He has made provision for our redemption and our forgiveness and our release through His grace by His Son, Jesus Christ. Who died for our sins. And if there is no sin, then why did He die? So that those sins can be washed away. And so we can stand before God as righteous. <coughs> Observation number three. The idea of do your own thing commits the fallacy of comparison. The fallacy of comparison. It has to do with anything I claim as religion is just as good as God. I do my own thing. I may worship here, or I may do it this way, I may turn on the TV or do the computer, or I may, you know, just do it in my head, or I may commune with nature, or whatever. Isaiah 45, verses 20 through 24. The Lord says, Come together, people of the nations, all who survived the fall of the empire. Present yourselves for the trial. The people who parade with their idols of wood and pray to gods that cannot save them. Those people know nothing at all. Come and present your case in court. Let the defendants consult one another. Who predicted long ago what would happen? Was it not I, the Lord, the God who saves his people? There is no other God. Turn to me now and be saved. People all over the world, I am the only God there is. My promise is true and it will not be changed. I solemnly promise by all that I am. Everyone will come and kneel before me and bow to be loyal to me. They will say that only through me are victory and strength to be found. But all who hate me will suffer disgrace. That there is an argument out there that something is relative. I always think of that in these terms. Think of the holidays for your favorite uncle versus your weird uncle. Okay. Which relative are you talking about? The argument about relativism assumes that there is a parent who set a standard for us to be compared to. I mean, it's your family. There's a parent. And you have this relative that you're kind of going, well, you know, according to what we're always used to, he's weird or, you know, he's my favorite kind of thing. There was an original parent. There was an original family. Original who set the standard of behavior by which weirdness and coolness were established. When you're talking about faith, when you're talking about religion, we're talking about the one who set the standard, and that's God. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says it this way, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Which leads me to decision number three. Choose God as your truth. Look, the godless have no authority in their life. Evil itself admits that there is a supreme being. It just refuses to yield to it. James chapter 2 and verse 19, even the demons believe and shudder. The God aware, who understand that supreme being, 
surrender to a higher power, yes, but they don't want to buy into God as the supreme being, as their only God. 1 Samuel chapter 6, you remember the Philistines steal the ark of God in a battle, and they take it to their back to them to put it among their trophies. And weird things start happening in their temple, and their God is destroyed, that kind of thing, and they just... They can't deal with it anymore, so they pack up the ark, and instead of becoming God worshipers, they just go, what? I'm happy in my dualism. I like my pagan idols. You know what? Don't bother me. I like my mess. Here, you take him back. So they sent the ark back. The God-fearing are committed beyond compromises, negotiations, battles, or ridicule because his truth wins the day. Lives are safe. Relationships are honored. Property is protected. Harmony is promoted. Worship is given to the one who is the ideal, not the idea. Psalm 69 and verse 13 says, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. <coughs> There are three takeaways that I want to leave you with today. Three takeaways. Number one, choose the truth of God to rule your heart and life. Choose God. His truth is the same in all places, at all times, in all circumstances, for all people. Past all the contradictions that you think are there, past all the inconsistency of the people that try to live that, past all of the humanness that you try to put to it, the rule of God still is the truth. We're just imperfect people trying to grab hold of that. Number two, commit to shaping your decisions in order to live by God's truth. To the best of our ability, and with His Spirit growing inside of us, we need to, to, to learn His consistency share his eternal hope, to offer his saving grace, to trust with a solid faith. And number three, connect others to the truth of God has given us in Jesus Christ. That's where we, what we're all about, isn't it? We're here to connect people to the truth. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father except by me. John 17, 17, just a few chapters over, he's praying to God and he says, he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. We have both. We have the word of God and we have Jesus Christ. So who are we? First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church, the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Why are you here today? You stand as the pillar and the support of the truth that Jesus is the way to God, that his word is for all people in all times and all places, and that we believe beyond any misconception that whatever doubts we have are laid at the altar of His cross and His grace when applied to us. And we say, God, You are truth, and we believe in You, and we accept Your ways. That's what we're doing here. It's a struggle, because we live in that complex society. 
but we're a people with a single-minded focus. Not a blind faith, not an ignorant belief, but a focus, a single focus. The truth of God has always won out over the centuries. And we commit our way to that. This morning we invite you to do that as well. The truth of God is extended to you. If you would leave your sin and embrace His grace, then we would help you. God says, wash it away in baptism. We can help you do that. God says, repent of sin and turn and we can pray with you about that. God says, He says, I love you and you can accept that. If you would do that in any way this morning, would you allow us the privilege to share that with you? Come to the front. Make that need known as together we stand.